Welcome to Live Mike, Best of TPL Conversations, our regular Toronto Public Library podcast series featuring curated discussions and interviews with some of today's best-known and yet-to-be-known writers, thinkers, and artists recorded on stage at one of Toronto Public Library's 100 branches. Very excited to be here tonight with you all on this rainy day uh, with the author of The Life of Plants. Uh, such an honor to be asked to speak with you today. I um, was really excited to get this book and begin reading it because it really, um, you know, I've always been someone who feels very in tune with nature, but this really changed things. I feel like I breathe differently now, actually, but we'll get into that later. (laughs) But before we get into all that, um, do you mind just giving us a little bit of background on how you grew up. I know you mentioned very briefly in your book that you studied agriculture yeah. in high school. Were your parents farmers in Italy? or No, no not at all. My, my parents uh, are doing uh, totally different stuff. Actually, it was a sort of very unconscious uh, feminist decision by my mother who sent my um, sister, my elder sister, actually to the elite school of the village where we used to live the school where you are supposed to study Old Greek and Latin, and it was a Catholic school, private, very expensive. And then uh, she said to me and to my brother, I used to have a twin uh, brother, she said to uh, us, you will never go to the university. You, you are not uh, good enough to, to study and to... It was a good strategy because I, I became a university professor, perhaps <laughs> just in order to show to my mother that I was good enough to do that. Clearly uh, the strategy worked, yeah. yes. <laughs> but then she, uh, she invited us to, to take some technical paths, so, so technical schools. And I found myself in this uh, school for agriculture, studying all the time botany or entomology or agronomy. So, Sciences uh, which uh, have to do with uh, with the uh, health and the uh, existence of uh, plants, but I do not have. I did not have actually at the when I when I was young a, a particular love for 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 plants. So it, it came after. It came also because of this uh, uh, of this of the study of because of the of the of the fact that I spent five years of my life. Uh, with, I, mean, I mean, outside the city, because at, at, at that time, this school uh, lied outside the city. And it was also interesting. I mean, I decided to write the book uh, because of this, uh, because of the fact that the, my first imprinting with knowledge was, uh, in a way, uh, 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 a relationship with knowledge that has to, that has to do with plants. And, after I studied philosophy, I became a philosophy professor at the university, but I wanted to put together these two cells to two different parts of my life, at least in a public, uh, uh, in the public uh, space. But it was, I mean, I had the chance to publish the book exactly at the moment when people started to find plants extremely exciting and extremely Perfect timing, actually, yeah. yes. Yeah, but it was strange to actually to, to, uh, to see how fashion actually can, can uh, uh, change people. Because before, I mean, uh, 10 years ago or, the, or when I was uh, uh, a student, the fact to, to, to know uh, the name of plants or to love plants, it was a sign of, uh, I mean, 
not the positive side. It actually. wasn't cool, yeah. let's say. Not at all. Not not but just now. not cool. Yeah, I mean, right. it was a, <laughs> yeah. But now there are apps yeah. for plant identifying. Yeah, exactly. People are craving more knowledge of nature. But your background was much more kind of clinical initially. It was not necessarily. It was more like uh, you were studying the plants as they would be used in agriculture. Yeah, but I mean, once that you start studying botany, you have to know every form of plants you're right. starting making herbarium. So you cannot study plants without loving them because it's they are so different from from us. They are so special. So in a way, I I have to thank this kind of weird studies because they gave me first of all the love for. Uh, a very weird uh, type of uh, creatures that normally we do not uh, know at all and we do ignore all the time. You, you say that a few times in the book, how we kind of have, they have a sovereign indifference to us, yeah. but we have treated them as like decoration on the tree of life. Yeah, because in a way, it, and I, I actually I think that the, the, it's not just a form of ignorance, it's really sort of active production in, within society of this kind of ignorance, I'm now a father of a child of uh, of a daughter of uh, four year, years old, and if you uh, get a look to the um, actually to the children for book for, for to the children books for uh, to books for to the books uh, for children, right. it's extremely amazing. Uh, not amazing, it's a scandal, but uh, it's amazing the fact that uh, actually animals do appear always with a very specific form. So a lion is a lion, a dolphin is a dolphin. There is a lot of exotism. So my, my daughter knows the name of a, a huge amount of animals that she will never <laughs> right. see in her entire life. Uh, points, yeah. Also in French, Italian, uh, English, and so on. But in this kind of literature, the plants appear just as a brown and a green uh, spots. No description <laughs> so whatsoever. There, there is just the platonic form of plant. There is no yeah. diversity. There is no names. There is just a tree, yeah. like for all the trees that exist. That's extremely bizarre. I mean, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Is right, the lion to... was behind a tree, period. There's no other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or a tree or a, a plant which is not a tree. Okay. But there is no names at all, actually. Right. And very little. Uh, uh, education about the local yeah. options as well, yeah, yeah. local variety. But when neither the exotic plants. There is, uh, actually, they are uh, stuffed without names. Mm. Also in another, in another um, sense, because uh, uh, there is something that has uh, always struck me, the fact that, I mean, uh, we used to give names to all the strangest creatures in the world. I mean, little turtles, dogs, cats. But we have a lot of trees also in the city. I mean, and we never gave we never give names to the to this to this jinko. Yeah, over there for it. He's not John Johnny Green. Yeah. Or <laughs> Why? <laughs> no pet names. Why? Yeah. I mean, we yeah we do. Uh, you said have uh, how, how did you put it? Uh, the way that we the human narcissism yeah. extends to animals, but never to plants. Yeah. Uh, and when did that? start happening because obviously if you go back further enough and you look at indigenous cultures there's a deep respect and reverence and connection to the plant world um, or yeah and so I'm wondering when we began to break from that 
it's difficult to give it uh, an exact uh, year. We want date, exact but, dates and times. There is a lot of uh, cause. I mean, there is a lot of re reasons. First of all, there is a normal biological reason that is the fact that we are animal, and it's easier for us to identify with an animal than uh, with a plant. I mean, uh, it's that's that's totally normal. On the other hand, our culture is really uh, extremely zoocentric. I mean. It starts every time with animals. I mean, every, for instance, uh, we started, we humans started uh, making art depicting animals. We started moral sciences uh, imaging uh, uh, fables with animals. And so we, 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 we took animals in order to do clothes, in order to do weapons, in order to do works for us. So we, we are animals and we use animals in order to live and then uh and there is i mean a couple of scientists gave a couple um 20 years ago also a biological reason which is perhaps not so i mean it's a not not such a good explanation but they said actually because uh the human being uh took uh, i mean uh, started as a human being uh, within forest and we actually uh learned to uh, not to uh, pay attention to the green spot because danger came not from uh, didn't come from from uh, from the green path. So we we focused uh, or we used to focus on on the not green parts of the visual field. So this is a sort of uh, scientific explanation of uh, of what has been called plant blindness. So we are biologically, in a way, uh, obliged to ignore everything which is green but it's a stupid explanation because in a way in a way no i mean in the forest there were no phones uh, and we are extremely attentive to phones so Good it's point, not yeah yes. so it's not uh, and 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 then there are much uh, at least for western societies there are a couple of uh, more uh, how can you say uh, or deeper reason reasons first of all the fact that uh, also modern biology is extremely uh, focused on animal we always we use uh, actually to uh, to um, to ask uh, fundamental questions about life in front of animals so what what does it mean to think what does it mean to live we uh, we form, we we ask this kind of questions always in front of uh, uh, animals not in front of, of plants we wonder this about our own cats and dogs of course yes yeah <laughs> Exactly, and and uh, and also there is also the fact that uh, during a lot of time, uh, botany was actually sort of very strange science uh, in a constant minority complex uh, uh, toward that zoology, mm -hmm. and it was a, 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 a discipline which was actually focused uh, first of all on the on the uh, yeah on mastering the huge biodiverse diversity within the vegetal realm right so but something changed in the last actually in the last 60 years first of all there was a huge revolution within biology that obliged actually biologists and not biologists to uh, to evolve to plants this kind of revolution uh, consisted in the fact of the, uh, that uh, since the 60s thanks to one of the most important, perhaps the most important biologist of the last century, Lynn Margulis, an American biologist, who discovered the fact that actually 
the perhaps the most important revolution in uh, of life uh, on this planet the invention of the eukaryotic cell had, has to be explained not uh, uh, not uh, um, uh, on the base of competition on the base of this kind of war of everybody yeah exactly but on on the base of uh, symbiosis so this was a huge revolution because it uh, it in a way it means that we have to quit this kind of very uh, war paradigm that have been uh, left to us. Uh, and right. we have to accept the fact that uh, actually life uh, uh, progresses through uh, cooperation, uh, symbiosis, love, and so on. And from this point of view, plants, in a way, have a much more important or plays a, an important epistemological role within science because Plants do not have, of course, this kind of first form of hostility linked to predation because they do not need to uh, to eat other living beings in order to right. survive. So because of that, because once that you understand that actually symbiosis, collaboration, and, and uh, cooperation is much more important in life that, than war, mm. suddenly plants become much more important for biology than... Uh, than uh, than in the past. So this is the first. Uh, this is the first uh, revolution that, in a way, produced everything. Produced also the fact that I'm I'm uh, I'm here, or produced the fact that there are a lot of uh, uh, bestsellers. I do not know if in Canada, for instance, uh, this huge bestseller holds the success of Peter Volleben, uh, the Secret Life of uh, Trees. Oh, we in I interviewed him. Ah, okay, here. yeah, he's yes. a good friend uh, of mine. Yeah. Oh, what a yeah. Man, yes. Yeah, in, in, I mean, the main thesis of, Pe of Peter's book is exactly that. In a way, we have to look at forests uh, in order to uh, understand how to live together. Right. And it's, in a way, it's the end of this very long history that uh, began with, with, uh, with Lynn Margulis. And, and at the same time, we've had, we've developed, you know, many people in this room would have, you know, a deep respect for trees and nature. Um, but you say, you know, okay, plants, even in the plant world, yeah. trees and flowers kind of get all the attention. Yeah. And the leaves are really the, you know, the, they developed life. And yeah. they are the reason we are alive and human. And they make us who essentially enable us to be here today. Can you give us a little taste of your kind of the, you know, the philosophy behind uh, plants and air and, and the, all that unites us? And it's a very yeah. small question. <laughs> so a lot of questions uh, within uh, the same question. First, first of all, the main idea uh, behind the, th the, the book is actually a very simple idea. It's actually to take seriously the first sentence in every kind of handbook uh, in botany. So the fact that life on this planet or the life of superior animals uh, in, uh, on this planet, it's possible just because there are plants. Uh, mm. So the idea is then, if you are taking seriously this, uh, this uh, sentence, that then, then you have to admit that plants are not just a part of the world, they are the origin of the world. So each time that you are looking at a plant, you are seeing not just an element of this cosmos, you are looking at the Big Bang that uh, in a way triggers the origin of, of this uh, uh, world. Because they created oxygen. They yeah, created oxygen. for two reasons, because of the fact that they... they uh, they uh, uh, make possible that the atmosphere contains enough uh, oxygen so we can, uh, uh, we can breathe. And secondly, they are also at the base of the trophic cycle in the, uh, for, for superior animals. That is, they are the, the ones who catch 
the most important uh, source of energy uh, on this planet, the sun, and they, uh, in a way, they store it uh, un uh, under the form of molecular bonds, uh, and they, in a way, they make it available for other living beings, uh, which is extremely interesting because if you are looking to the trophic cycle from this point of view, that means that actually every time that an animal is eating something, uh, I mean, it's n no matter if it's a plant or it's, uh, it's uh, another animal, he's looking for this light, uh, actually. And what we are called... Sunlight. Yeah, exactly. What, what we call a nutrition or food uh, feeding is actually this extremely strange secret trade of sunlight which passes from uh, body to body, from species to species. So this is ex already extremely interesting. We are looking for light and we do not have this... Uh, capacity of uh, taking light uh, immediately, like plants. We don't like do photosynthesis lips. ourselves, no. Yeah. And on the other hand, what is striking from, uh, from a metaphysical point of view or from a philosophical point of view of this activity by plants is the fact that actually light is, uh, is an extraterrestrial element. So it's totally, I mean, that not, it, not, it doesn't belong to the, to the, to the Earth. Uh, but that means that in a way, first of all, the basis of our life is extraterrestrial so and secondly what actually uh, uh, flows in our body is this extraterrestrial substance so we are all in a way partly AT so we are all in a way so which is uh, extremely beautiful also so. and and that that is thanks to the plant so and this kind of merges with your theory of well I mean the the subtitle of your book is the metaphysics of mixture mixture yeah. And mixture is a word that kind of plays prominently, an idea that plays prominently in the book. Yeah. Um, can you explain that a bit for us? Yeah. Water is a good idea. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, so to make it easier, perhaps, the, the, I, the main idea is the fact that, the, for instance, uh, let's take an example that can be uh, easier also uh, for, for me. I mean, the, uh, what is striking, actually, uh, to me, is the fact that I, I, in a way, I do not need to have in front of me a plant in order to have a relationship to plants. Uh, I mean, it is enough that I'm starting breathing, uh, and I'm already, in a way, I am already invaded by, by, by the byproducts or the, or in a way, by the sheet of plants. Uh, if you, if you. <laughs> By the, what I didn't plants see that quote in the book, no, but yeah, no, I like it, no. I like it. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and in a way, we are already uh, uh, participating or we are in a, way, in a way merging with the body or with the rest of, of the body. And, and uh, because of, uh, of, uh, of breath, because of uh, our need in oxygen. And we could speak also, I mean, uh, and what is interesting, it's not in the book, but uh, what, what, what shows also this the fact that our bodies is always uh, merged with the body of other uh, living beings is the fact that, for instance, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, there is a couple of uh, the, of papers that shows that uh, actually, as, as I said, the human being is a uh, uh, um, arboreal primate. That is, we 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 took our origin uh, within uh, on on the trees. In the trees, actually. right? Yeah. But and the sign of that is the fact that, uh, for instance, we have opposable thumb. It was in order to better catch the branches of the trees, 
And also that we have, for instance, like the primates, our progenitors, we have uh, close eyes on the front. Uh, that is in order to see the depth uh, in the visual field, which is important when you're living on trees because otherwise you are falling. So in a way, also from this point of view, our body has been sculpted by trees. So uh, our body is a work of art of uh, trees, which are our artists or our... So even in this sense, we do not need to have a tree in front of us in order, in order to have a relationship to them. Each time that we, that we uh, look at, or each time that we uh, uh, relate to our body, we are relating in, in a way to, to, to trees. So the, the, the idea uh, of the book is, or the other idea of the book is that every, every form of life has to mix itself with other forms of life in different, uh, on, on different levels. For instance, uh, as I said, also in an anatomical level. But first of all, one of the main points of the, of, the, of the book was also the idea that, uh, for instance, uh, plants are extremely in, um, interesting in order to understand what is the relationship between uh, living being and the environment. So we are supposed, or we are used to think that uh, actually the environment is something that pre-exists to, to living beings, uh, and, and, and then a uh, uh, living being has to adapt to the environment. So that, that is the classical idea. And we think of it as outside of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. But uh, plants, in a way, uh, shows or proves that uh, it the other way around, in the sense that they do, as every living being actually, uh, uh, ceases or they do sculpt, they do change in a very deep way the, uh, the, the um, world around them. So, for instance, they put oxygen in the, in, the, uh, in the world, in the atmosphere, they changed forever the, the, the face of the world. Uh, they put sun within the mineral flesh of Gaia and they changed forever the geological uh, uh, face of, uh, of, of the planet. So Through the roots transferring yeah, sunlight. Everything. Also, yeah. when they are dead, they produce uh, uh, carbon deposits and so on. So in a way, the, we have to think, uh, I mean, there is a huge tradition starting from the 18th century, at least in Europe, uh, of uh, botanists or, or of uh, biologists who started to think that actually everything we can look at uh, in the world is the production of former living beings. So everything. There is no more uh, original, natural uh, uh, face uh, of, of, of the earth. Everything was in a way seized by, by some living beings. Uh, but that means uh, uh, that each time that we are entering in a space, uh, we are entering in the space or in the body of other living beings. Uh, so there is no possibility to, to in a way, to uh, stay at home. Uh, because your home is already the home produced, designed by other living beings. Uh, so for instance, we, we are breathing, and this breath is, in a way, More taking sharing. part. Yeah. Yes. But also take part to the life of plants. And so and so and, and so on. So there is uh, this active uh, relationship with an, the environment. That also means the fact that uh, every relationship to the space is a relationship to the life of other living beings, uh, and everything is intermingled. Everything is not just connected. We are 
always in the body of other living beings, always. So it's, it's beyond interconnected. Yeah. It's much more, it's much deeper in a way, so. It um, does, so does the idea, like the Vedic idea, the ancient Hindu text talking about oneness, does that resonate with you in a different way now that you've been studying this idea of plants? Yeah, of course, but, but we, in a way, we do not need, uh, or we do not, we don't even need to to uh, to read the Veda. If you are, if you are, if you are, if you are taking seriously what uh, what Darwin said, uh, we we can come to the same conclusions. I mean, one of the most beautiful idea of Darwin is the fact that every species uh, is actually the metamorphosis of a previous species. Uh, so every species, there is no pure substantial species. Every species is a metamorphosis of a previous species. That means that every species is already sort of mix, a mixture of different species. And that's, that's extremely evident also in, uh, from a genetical or morphological point of view. For instance, our DNA is a sort of patchwork made out of, uh, uh, of viruses, fungi, bacteria, fishes, apes, and so on. Our body, I mean, Almost nothing in our body is purely human. The fact that we have uh, eyes, that has nothing to do with uh, something exclusively human. The fact that we have, uh, uh, um, I don't know, uh, hair or, or, or also hands and so on. So we are living zoos in a way. We are a patchwork of different uh, uh, um, uh, uh, forms of life because of the fact that everything must, in a way, uh, 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 have birth through the life of other species, uh, and so I, I can take whatever I mean, uh, whatever body I'm taking now, I can uh, draw a line from here to the beginning of life. Uh, you mentioned in the book at one point that we are still fish, really. Yeah, and we are still also uh, rocks in a way. In each of us, Gaia is trying to find another form of its life uh, and it's trying to fit differently to itself. So in a way, each of us, each, each species, but each individual within a species uh, is Gaia speaking from uh, like uh, four billion years uh, ago. I, yeah. I, I feel like there are some, there's some commonality with um, you know, various spiritual teachings, not necessarily religious anymore, but spiritual, um, that raise this idea. Uh, you do mention, uh, just to backtrack, that you had the idea for this book inside, a, at a temple in, in Japan. Yeah. Can you tell us how this came to be? Yeah, it, 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 it is difficult to speak about that because uh, this kind of mystical, no, it's, it was not a mystical vision, but it, I was in, uh, in, uh, I was in uh, Japan for a month as an invited professor and, uh, I had the chance to stay uh, a week in Kyoto, and I uh, and uh, a person let me visit uh, Fushimi Inari uh, uh, Temple, which is uh, an extremely lethargic uh, temple. Actually, it's a, a space within the stad where there is a huge forest, and within the f this forest there is this kind of path with this uh, orange uh, fluorescent uh, uh, tori. The the I don't know how, how the, the the gates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you are passed through these five kilometers of uh, uh, yeah, uh, orange uh, 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 gates, uh, and you are within 
wild nature, and I, I, I touch, I, can, I could touch this kind of evidence of, of the oneness of culture and nature, human beings and cats, that the, which were walking on, on the forest. So at that time, it was not so touristic like uh, nowadays. It, there was nobody, actually. And so I, I said to myself, I had to write it because, uh, yeah, plants are the most important elements here. And in a way, the, because you said there is a lot of spiritual uh, uh, and insights and, or religious insights, my, my, in a way, the point or the idea was to come exactly to the same conclusions without quoting any, any mm -hmm. spiritual tradition, but just showing that, if you're, that within science, uh, within contemporary science, uh, there is, 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 is such a huge amount of, uh, first of all, of very surrealistic, uh, uh, in a way, visions of the world. So, and secondly, also, there is such a, uh, a huge amount of sources of uh, spiritual, uh, uh, I don't know how to call it, uh, spiritual uh, insights or spiritual, uh, or spirituality, actually. So and that, that, that perhaps we, 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 do not also, uh, we do not see them uh, because we put science in a way, in a separate space uh, than a spirituality. Whereby, of course, a scientist, someone who spent his or her entire life uh, studying uh, life that has a totally different from, form from uh, our form, uh, is an extremely spiritual person, of course. I mean, you cannot spend 50 years of your life studying, uh, I don't know, a jinko or uh, without being an extremely uh, spiritual person. It's, impo it's uh, physically impossible. I so. like this idea, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it, it, because you, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that it, it was an intentional choice not to, yeah. not to kind of mention, you were talking about the roots of plants and philosophy, yeah. Western philosophy, but you, you didn't necessarily mention uh, uh, religion, but you did, you, there were a few quotes, for instance, roots make the soil and the subterranean world a space of spiritual communication. Yeah. Um, that really kind of invokes this mystical, mystic, mystic kind of envisioning of yeah. you know, the plants communicating with each other, and uh, and you mentioned as well the plant soul at one point. Do you have a uh, kind of a, a perception of what that is? And obviously, it'll be different from <laughs> the the kind of idea of a human soul. But. Mm. Or maybe not I, of course, yeah, yeah, of course. No, yeah. I have, but it's not just my opinion. It's Mm -hmm. in, in a way, I mean, uh, uh, there is uh, the w there is still a huge fight within uh, science because of, for instance, because of the fact that uh, zoologists are, have a lot uh, of of power within biology, and also because of the fact of the power of neuroscientists uh, within uh, biology. But there is enough uh, research that has proved that uh, plants do have consciousness. That is, that plants know exactly what is happening outside them, know exactly what is happening inside them, and know exactly what is the difference between the inside and the outside. And that's a good definition of consciousness. So uh, 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 the question, and they are intelligent, they are, can communicate with uh, uh, each other. So the problem is that, first of all, we normally, we, we are used to, to speak or to ask what, what does it mean to be intelligent in front of uh, uh, animals? Uh, and exactly for that reason, or only for that reason, we usually answer with the stupid answer 
To be intelligent means to have a brain, to have a nervous system. Uh, so actually, since at least 40 years, a lot of biologists proved the, the, the rest, and also proved, the, for instance, that it is, it is extremely arrogant to think that only animals uh, uh, think, because animals do represent a tiny part of the biomass in the universe, like uh, uh, really tiny. So in a way, to think that only uh, uh, life forms with brain or with a nervous system uh, are intelligence is a sort of uh, uh, extension of the human uh, or anthropocentric arrogance uh, right. within the animal realm. The human narcissism. Yeah, exactly. Again. So, so we, do know, we do know that uh, plants are intelligent. The question is, why do plants not need a nervous system or a brain in order to be intelligent? Uh, or, why do, or why did they not choose to develop a brain in order to be intelligent? And the answer is also relatively uh, easy, it's because they are fixed uh, life forms. So imagine that you, are, you spent your entire life exactly where you are now. So like uh, 300 years Get fixed uh, there where you are. So when you was, when you was a child, you were there and you, you can live like uh, 500 years and you will be there. So it's, it's a tough life actually. It's, <laughs> so, uh, Peaceful. Yeah. Uh, it depends because uh, you are exposed to the attack of a lot of uh, predators. And so if you are doing with, li like animals, if you are concentrating fun uh, a spe a specific functions, a specific, a specific function or an activity within a tiny part of your, of your body, so you risk to lose the possibility to exercise this function uh, for like 300, uh, imagine that, I mean, uh, if, if uh, for instance, we, we choose as animals to focus or to concentrate our relationship to the sun or to the light in these two small, very, very small parts that we call eyes, uh, and they are tiny, right. and I mean, if you are living on, a, on this spot for 500 years, a lion come or can come or a bird, I don't know, someone, and take our eyes, and we do not have the chance anymore to have a relationship to, to the sun. So the plants are doing two, or they have two different strategies. First of all, they choose uh, very often not to concentrate uh, the exercise of a function on a very specific spot of the body. So they do not have this kind of, they do not have, in a way, organs. Uh, they distribute the, uh, their function on their body, so that's the reason why, for instance, they communicate uh, uh, through molecules and not through mouths, right. for instance. Or the other strategy is, the, is actually to multiplicate the same function a lot of times. They, they are building a lot of alternatives. So for instance, the most evident uh, case is sex. So we, we are doing sex and we are, we, each of us have just one sex, Plants, a, a tree, for instance, has like uh, 400 sexes, actually. Flowers are sexes. Another point, uh, another, I, I forget it, but another evidence of the fact that we do not see plants uh, is the fact that actually we are uh, offering a lot of flowers every time uh, to people we love. Uh, and we forget, we do not want to see the fact that uh, offering flowers uh, means actually offering uh, sexual organs. It's like uh, to offer... <laughs> 
to offer <laughs> dicks and vagina as to <laughs> of animals. It's like to a people. new dick yeah. pic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> It's a very pornographic song. We have five minutes because... Uh, five minutes. Oh, my yeah. goodness. We could be here all night. Well, um... So, ju just, uh, no, just I wanted to finish this point. So, uh, uh, we have one sex, uh, a, a, a plant developed like 400 or 500 sex. And from this point of view, we can... Uh, because uh, the question, your question was, uh, do plants have a soul? Do plants... Uh, so, plants not only have a soul, they, have, they are much more self, they are much more me than me, in the sense that the, the subjectivity or the selfhood is in their body multiplicated. So they have like, it, exactly like uh, they have 400 uh, uh, sexes or, or sex organs, they have 400 selves in a way. I see. So they are much more intensely, intensively selves or me than me. I mean, there's so many, so many, you guys all have to pick up the book because we've only just scratched the surface. There's so much to talk about. Um, and it's very interesting because your past book was on advertising, fashion world, and image, uh, and morality. Yeah. And um, did you need to rinse that out and go to nature after uh, paying uh, too much attention to human perhaps, culture? Yeah, perhaps. Sorry. <laughs> I need to do the same, uh, both of them. Yes. After this. Yeah. And is there a thread that connects the two uh, books at all? Uh, yes, because in a way, because... In a way, my, my first uh, obsession were, was, uh, were, were images. Mm. So, and I started to, st to study uh, um, advertising because in a way it's the sphere where images are produced or where we, we actually produce the mass uh, consumed and the mass popular and the mass, uh, in a way, um, powerful images in our society. Advertising has this uh, task actually. And plants are, in a way, to me, or were to me, the embodiment of uh, life forms where, first of all, they, they produce this huge amount of forms. I mean, they are, because one of the main points of the, um, one of the main differences of, uh, of, of, uh, of the existence, of the vegetal existence in comparison to, to, the, um, to the animals is the fact that, uh, take a tree, for instance, a tree can never stop growing. So a tree is a form of life that is obliged to, in a way, to add parts to its, to its body. So, which means that every tree is a multi-aged individual. So to be a tree is like to have a leg of 40 years, which is 40 years old, another leg which is uh, uh, 20 years old, and then a head that has two months and so on. So you have not uh, the same age, but uh, uh, most importantly, a tree is a sort of body artist uh, which is obliged to give, to shape itself all the time. So mm. the question of the image is uh, actually extremely urgent to him, to, to it. Uh, and you talk about um, uh, morality is, is a big part of your previous book uh, in relation to the image. And uh, you mentioned in this book uh, that um, life exists only insofar as it consumes other life, removing any moral or ethical considerations to the equation. And I'm wondering whether for you, you know, watching nature, um, there may not be kind of an internal morality to it uh, that we can impose upon it, but uh, you know, watching the way humans are interacting with nature do you have kind of a sense of of moral outrage, or are you just saying, or do you see it more as, well, this is the creatures of of, of the planet, of plants, humans, uh, consuming themselves and over-consuming uh, as uh, uh, kind of a 
plants gone wild, we can say, humans are. <laughs> yeah. So I think that the, the look at nature can, first of all, has to teach us the fact that we are the same body of, I mean, can I answer a little bit more because she, mm -hmm. she, will, uh, she will be crazy. She's but going to pull I'm the hook. taking just uh, five minutes in order to answer the, <laughs> to the question. There is a, an extremely beautiful um, uh, text by Aldo Leopold, so the founder of the land ethic uh, in the States, uh, one of the most mm -hmm. important uh, figure of the ecological movement uh, in the world, actually, not just in the States. That he wrote, he, he published this book uh, called uh, Sandy uh, County Almanac. And within this book, there is a, an extremely interesting text that is called Odyssey. And it's a rewriting of the Homer, of, uh, Homer text. And it's uh, actually, it's a sort of uh, rewriting of this text of the old story from the point of view of an atom. So the history of the... Of the of the of the earth and it's a diptych so it's an atom within an anthropize or a, a, a landscape which is which has been modified by humans and an atom which is living in a totally wild space but uh, that's not important for our story for for me it's important the fact that uh, actually the history of of the world is told as a history of successive uh, reincarnations of the atom which was a rock and then a, a part of the grass and then uh, a cow and then an Indian and so and so forth and so on so why in the end the 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 end of the story is that you have to live fast and to die often which is extremely beautiful as a, as, a, as a principle of morality so you have to live fast and to die often not to have to scare and uh, but what is interesting is the fact that uh, this is really the only basis of uh, more, uh, of uh, an ecological morality. The fact that actually, the fact to acknowledge that we we share the same body with everything which is living. So uh, the the forms of life outside us are the archives of our past or future lives. So in a way, everything we are is the reincarnation of past different uh, uh, natures or forms of life, and we will be also, uh, or we will, uh, or our body will uh, reincarnate in other, in, the, in those three, for instance, if I'm, if I'm dying now and, uh, 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 I don't know, someone decides to, to, not to bury, but to, um, how do you say in English when you let your uh, burn, your body burn? Oh, a cremation. Yeah, the cremation, I will transform myself into CO2 and I will be the body of some tree. So this is the basic principle I, feel, I, 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 I think for, for the, the ecological ethic. We are the same body. We share the same flesh actually with everything. On the Live Mike episode page, livemike.ca, you will find biographies of featured writers, guests, and hosts, as well as links to TPL's collections or other episode-related materials. For all of TPL's podcast series, go to tpl.ca slash podcasts. Toronto Public Library is one of the world's busiest urban public library systems. Every year, more than 20 million people visit our 100 branches in neighborhoods across the city and borrow more than 32 million items. Live Mike, Best of TPL Conversations, is produced by the Toronto Public Library. Episodes are produced by Natalie Curtis, Jorge Amigo, and me, Gregory McCormick. Technical support by Michelle DeMarco and George Paniotu. AV support by Jennifer Casper and Mesfin Baisisu. 
and marketing support by Tanya Oleksik. Music is by Worst Pop Band Ever, also known as WPBE. I'm Gregory McCormick, Manager of Cultural and Special Event Programming at Toronto Public Library. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another episode of Live Mike, Best of TPL Conversation.